Welcome to the real episode 40 of the Agency Freedom Podcast. We take our listeners from captive to indie to market domination. Uh, I made a a boo-boo last time where I uh, mistakenly said last episode was episode 40. And in fact, it was episode 39. Had a little bit of a mix-up on our release dates, but uh, fear not, this is the real episode 40. So this episode is, gosh, it's good. Uh, I'm, I'm really happy with how this turned out. It is an honor and a privilege to have the one and only Mr. Grant Batma on as a guest of AFP. I just have the most respect and admiration for Grant. I love the way that he does life uh, as a family man, uh, as, as a dad, as a professional, as a content creator. Uh, Grant is A-plus all the way around. Uh, it's easy to think, and I've heard it from a lot of people that don't know him that well, uh, to, to write him off as, as being one of these fake nice people. Uh, because so much of what he puts out is so positive uh, and, and encouraging and aspirational. And from time to time, somebody will say something like, oh, that dude's fake or whatever. I'm just sitting here going, no, he just is a genuinely nice, kind-hearted, good-spirited person who's you know grounded in everything. He is into a lot of different uh, verticals, as we'll talk about here in uh, this this episode with his company stewardship. They're doing a lot of really cool things uh, as we'll get into in the interview. So real quick before we jump into the bumper, I would uh, love it for you to subscribe to AFP if you haven't already and drop us a review if you like what you hear and invite someone to join you on the AFP journey uh, as we uh, you know proceed into 2022 and beyond. We've got some very cool things planned for you. And I'm very grateful that you are along for the journey. So that's it uh, for the lead up. We'll go ahead and hit the bumper and get into episode 40 with Mr. Grant Batma, the uh, founder and CEO of Stewardship. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. There are two kinds of people in the insurance industry. Those who are captive and those who are free. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. There is so much I wish I would have known before I made the freedom jump to the independent side. I mean, even now, I feel like I'm learning something new every single month. We're all about helping insurance agency owners and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your freedom. My team and I replaced six years of captive agency revenue in 17 months with RiskWell. 17 months, man. It's crazy. This show is where I share our successes, our failures, and what I've learned along the way. We lay out a blueprint of how to make your freedom jump from captive to indie to market domination. I'm bringing you colleagues from markets across the country with dozens of different specialties. They're eager to share their stories and best practices with you. I'm your host, James Jenkins. Welcome to Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. All right, Freedom Jumpers, here we go with another episode. Thanks for joining us. And man, you guys are really in for a treat because the one and only Mr. Grant Batma is joining us uh, on this episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. Uh, some of you might not know Grant. Uh, he has been around in, in the uh, the zeitgeist of the insurance world for a while Thank you for letting me be able to use that word. I'm a big fan of that word. Uh, And 
he has done some really cool things in the last couple of years, but specifically, the reason I'm inviting him on right now uh, is Grant's book had its worldwide release, uh, his second book, I should say, uh, just about two weeks ago, right, Grant? Yep. Yeah, and the title of it is Work Life Harmony. Did I get that right? You got it right. Work Life Harmony. Awesome. Okay. I'm upset with Amazon because my copy is still in the mail. I wanted to be able to read at least some of it before this episode. Uh, But this is a shameless plug for Work Life Harmony. I'm telling you right now, you should go out and buy that book on Amazon or wherever it is that you buy your books. Uh, The first book from uh, Grant uh, was The Problem Is Not Their Paycheck. And if you haven't read that one, that's a whole other story. Um, Again, uh, thank you, Mr. Grant Botma, for joining us on uh, AFP. Thanks for being here. Man, it it's an honor. It's cool to be here. I uh, obviously I've met you a few times in person, and it's it's good to be able to call you an industry friend. Uh, the first time I actually remember meeting you was at an event, and you were speaking at the event. And my uh, one of my employees was there at the event, and I said, "Hey, who is your favorite presentation?" He said, "Oh, James Jakin by far. Like he loved uh, your presentation. So grateful for how you shared and helped my business grow through that." Man, it's it's really cool to hear that because you know the there's this silly little thing of celebrity in our industry, and you know in the conference circuit and whatnot. I know you find it as silly as I do, but the simple fact is. You, my friend, are very well known in our industry. You're widely respected uh, for a variety of things. And I know that it probably makes you a little uncomfortable because you are a, such a grounded and and authentic and humble human being. Uh, so the fact that people are like, oh my gosh, Grant Batma, that probably <laughs> annoys you uh, to some degree. Uh, but my gosh, man, I don't know if anybody has the resume in, in the IAOA circle uh, that you do but with stewardship uh, with being now a two-time author uh, and all the things that you're doing uh, with your time, you make full use of your 168 hours. I don't mind saying it. I'm a big fan of the way you do life, man. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's a real treat for me to have you on as a guest. Uh, and for those of you in the listening audience, our Freedom Jumpers that are not familiar with Grand Batma, man, you you definitely need to check out what he is putting into the world, uh, the way that he does things. I'm a huge fan. So, um, Grant, we're going we're to be a little bit eclectic with the questions uh, that we ask here. Uh, I want to hand you the microphone first off and just uh, introduce yourself for those that may not be familiar. I know you've got a lot of media. There's a lot of content out about you individually and where the company is. Uh, I'll just say right now, if you're trying to get some you know, basic information, best way to find out is... Uh, uh, stewardship's website and then grants youtube i think there's several youtube channels granted you have your own one don't you separate from stewardship uh yeah most of our content though is being uh, published on our stewardship uh, okay. youtube though so yeah sweet but we okay. we have content however people want to uh, yeah. consume it so you're, you're our website like you said is a great place to start but we have the podcast we have our blog we have uh videos we are on all over social media we do live events and webinars and uh, also uh, books sweet. so yeah yeah, guys, uh, guys and gals, I should say, uh, I will get Grant's uh, details offline and I'll drop all of that in the uh, description of this episode and you know, links to all the stuff. So if you want to check out uh, the content that Grant has already put in uh, to the ecosystem, that's the best way to do it. So uh, Grant, who are you? What are you about? Uh, what is important to you and, and any other details you want to give us on your backstory before we jump into some more granular stuff? Yeah, I think an easy explanation based on some of the stuff that you'd mentioned is 
I try to just live one life. I'm not the type of person who is different at work and I am at home than I am at church or I am on the golf course. Hey, look, I might use a little bit different language on the golf course than I do when I'm talking with my son, but uh, I try to be the exact same person everywhere I go. And that simplifies things for me, makes things a whole lot easier. And I live that one life with one mission. And I believe I'm here on this planet to love others. So I try to love people well in areas where I feel like I can love them well, where they have needs. Stewardship is a finance company. We are a mortgage brokerage, insurance agency, investment management firm. We do some software development, all that stuff. So quite simply put, we do home loans, insurance, and investments with wisdom and love. And that's our goal. And that's what we do. And uh, my family, our goal is to love others well. So you'll find us serving at our church or hanging out with people in our community or hanging out uh, with other people that are in need because that's what we believe that we're here for. So again, I have one life. I believe it's to love others, and I try to harmonize it all together with that mission of, of loving others. Fantastic, man. That That is about the intro I expected from you. So you are completely on brand, my friend. Uh, <laughs> one, one of the things that we we kick around in this podcast is the the conceptual difference between so so many people out there operate uh, their agency. They uh, they talk to their team. They talk to their clients. They sell a product and give advice and whatnot. They very rarely, if ever, leave the realm of being an insurance agent. Uh, it is difficult for some people to escape the gravity, uh, the gravitational pull of that title. I'm an insurance agent. Uh, so many people never flip the coin over and really become a business owner, an entrepreneur. Uh, you've done that in three distinct, and they're related, of course, but they're very distinct verticals with stewardship. Uh, and I, I said this offline, I'll say it again, Grant Bodma's not an insurance agent. Uh, you're not even a business owner. You, you are a, the definition of an entrepreneur because uh, you are constantly looking for the next best way to deliver value to your stakeholders. Uh, and I'd like for you to talk about that for a second. Uh, most of that is brought out in the name stewardship. I'm sure you've got other things going on. How do you put handles on entrepreneurship? What does that mean for you? Uh, and how are you living that out? Yeah, you know, it's, it's a really good question because most people struggle with this, myself included, because when you first start a business, you have to produce, Right. And, and if you're really good at producing, then your business not only gets to stick around, but it starts to, to grow. And when you become really good at something, then whether we want to admit it or not, some of our identity gets wrapped up into that. Yep. And, and when you're really good at something, say like producing insurance, you don't want to let go of that, especially if you know and you have a track record of being really good at it. So this idea of letting go of the production of being the insurance producer, but then stepping into the role of being a business owner and pushing the business into a different level, it's tough. It's really, really hard because you have to let go of this identity that you may or may not believe that you have. And then you have to stop doing something that you're really good at and letting go and start trusting others. And if you want to know the best way that I've learned to do that, um, I actually don't believe a very common phrase, and I go the opposite direction. The very common phrase is that trust is earned, right? I believe that is wrong. The trust is given first. And that you can earn more trust, and you earn the ability to keep it. But for me, as a business owner and as a leader, I choose to give trust to people that I hire, but knowing that they will make mistakes the same way I have. 
Yep. So as I've stepped out of the producing role, whether it be producing mortgages or insurance or investments or whatever, I trust and I give that trust to my team. And although they may not do things the exact same way I do, I give them grace when they make mistakes, do my best to care for them, love them and help them, provide for them as many resources as I possibly can. And then eventually, believe it or not, James, they become better at it than I ever was, which then takes our business oh, yeah. to another level, which is great. And you have been around long enough and seeded enough of those little trust plants in your garden uh, to start to see the real fruits of of that practice, you know, repeated over and over again over the course of several years. I got to say, it is so much fun when you see someone on your team flourish, when you see oh. them have wins and see that spark come to their eye of going, I'm I'm good at this. Wow. Yes. That and when they get that win, which obviously as the owner of the business, their win literally is my win. So I know that team and culture and uh successfully navigating social dynamics and making decisions within the context of being a leader of a team, of compensation, of how do you structure things, you know, how do you give people the best opportunity to flourish and, and live their best life inside of the system that you're in charge of. Um, your first book, The Problem's Not Their Paycheck, goes into a lot of detail that we don't have time for in this episode. Uh, but can you just talk about that? Like, you know, for somebody who wants to understand maybe a, a one or two little nuggets of how they can get better at their team, of maybe communicating on important topics, conflict resolution, you know, the, the whole compensation ball of wax, the, that all by itself is probably an entire episode at least. Uh, talk to some of that, your philosophy and, and practices. Yeah, um, my philosophy is based on statistically proven things. So real data that exists and it's existed for a very long time in organizations. And that has to do with the hierarchy of motivation. Uh, people are not just motivated by money. Money is important, but it's actually the fourth most motivating thing. There are three other things that are more motivating to us, one of them being freedom, uh, the name of your podcast. The, it's probably a topic that a lot of your listeners are familiar with. People want freedom. They want the ability to control portions of their life and have autonomy. So as an employer, as a leader, as a manager, are you giving freedom to people or do you find yourself taking freedom away? If your employees or people on your team are coming into work, do they feel they have freedom, freedom to be creative, freedom to produce, for a freedom to live their life in, in the way that they would like to live it? Or are the things that you've put in place, the processes, procedures, and how you run your team, do they take freedom away? Uh, the second thing is people want to be affirmed. And this is not just a millennial unicorns and rainbows and gumdrops and throw Skittles at them affirmation <laughs> thing. This is no. negative affirmation too. People want to know how they're doing. Yeah. One of the number one things that is clicked on on the internet is Amazon reviews. So whether you're purchasing a toothbrush or you're buying a mortgage, people want to know, am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? And we as managers and leaders, we neglect affirming people and the best way to do that is intentionally, meaning you schedule time throughout your week and throughout your day that you will affirm your team. That means you have to look for ways to affirm them, affirm them positively. And when they do something wrong, don't just wait for like their quarterly performance review. Tell them right away. Yeah. And that's a really big deal. Put those 
uh, give them the freedom to go down the bowling alley, right? But put up some bumpers, some guardrails with affirmation of, of how, how to do it when they're doing it right and when they're doing it wrong. And then the, the number one thing that people are motivated by, and man, if you really want to look at a, a social society that, that proves this, look at our world, look at our country uh, over the last couple of years, especially as it pertains to COVID stuff, it's purpose. Purpose is the number one motivating thing within human beings. We are all wired to want to make the world a better place, to make a real impact on people, to have things that we do every morning when we wake up actually matter. If all people are doing is clocking in and clocking out just for a paycheck that will only last for a certain period of time and production dramatically decreases when they feel like they don't have purpose. But if you can find a way to tie the work that your team is doing to a real positive impact on a real person that changes everything. So how I manage my team, how I build a, a, a good company culture is based upon that ideology of a proper motivational framework. So to recap, freedom and then the affirmation, uh, affirmation that, that's the and word, purpose. affirmation and then purpose is the third one. Correct. Mm -hmm. No, that's, that's fantastic. No, I, I'm taking notes here myself, Freedom Jumpers. This this is really good. I can already tell you this is one of those like ESPN instant classic episodes where <laughs> you need to go back and, and listen to it, you know, once a year for the rest of time, I guess. So um you've got you've got two books out. We've already talked about both of them very briefly. Uh, I want I want to give you the opportunity to to talk about the the premise, the backstory, the why of work life harmony. And then we're just going to dovetail from there into natural conversation on team culture and social dynamics and whatnot. Uh, that's kind of a, a mishmash of all the things you've got going on. So tell us about this book. Uh, how did you decide I'm going to do another book? Uh, obviously, you know, once you've written one book, you want to write another one. That's kind of the natural author thing to do. Uh, what's the backstory on work life harmony? Yeah, well, my first book kind of happened by accident. Uh, I was speaking at events. We were fortunate enough to win some awards and people were asking me to, to speak at their association event or whatever to share what we did. And as I was speaking about that, my assistant one day is like, hey, you're speaking too often. We can't do this much traveling. We can't get as much done. And I'm like, well, I still want to help other people, so I don't want to stop. She's like, well, have you ever heard of an online course? And I'm like, no, what's this? So then I make an online course of how to create a good company culture. And then somebody who worked for a publisher took the course and then reached out to me and said, hey, you should write a book. And I'm like, nah, I mean, I like to consume knowledge, but I'm not sure if I want to really want to write. I'm not a writer. She's like, no, you don't understand. You really need to write a book and made an offer that was great. And I went through that process of writing the first book. And James, I loved it. It was so much fun. Yeah. Uh, so much so that as I was writing that book, the idea for seven, eight, nine, ten other different books just started coming out. And um, I got excited about that. And the second book really came uh, by answering one of the most frequently asked questions that I get. Uh, I'll get done, you know, uh, speaking and hanging out at an event or hanging out with other people, some of our peers in the industry. And people will often ask, Grant, you've got all this stuff going on. How are you able to do all of that and have your family still like you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I didn't really think the things that I was doing with my family and the things I was doing intentionally at my work and how I kind of create this harmony were like that big of a deal. And then I looked back at it with my wife and I'm like, wow, we really have built something here. We've done something very intentionally over the last 15 years since we've been married. 
and this is worthy of uh, of sharing and, and and helping other people. So, the premise of the book goes to this. Um, I believe that everyone has the wrong goal. So many people are pursuing work-life balance, but balance is not something that should be the goal. Balance is good, but but if it's the goal, you're setting yourself up for failure because you cannot maintain balance all of the time. When you balance, you will eventually fall down. And then when you do fall down, you feel like a failure, you feel alone, and you really get frustrated with it. And, and you find yourself in the middle of these warring parts of your life, your work and, and your home, and you really wanna be the best person at home that you can be because you love your family, but you're also really good at your job and you are making an impact at your work and you don't wanna stop doing that because you were created to contribute. Yep. Uh, so the book really talks about how to have harmony between all of those things and how to invite your family into this mission that you're on in work and how to invite your work into this mission that's going on at home and how to make it uh, harmonious. And through the book, myself and my wife, we give some very intentional things and some practical takeaways that we do with our year, with our quarter, with our weeks, with our days that kind of help bring some of that harmony together. So what I'm hearing you say is we as uh, the readers of this book really should be bringing our spouse into the conversation, read it together, and then discuss and implement. Yeah, man, it, it doesn't hurt. Uh, my wife wrote a chapter and her chapter is called The Supportive Spouse. And uh, the whole reason for her putting a chapter in it was to give her perspective because one, she thinks differently than me, right? Yeah. Uh, but then two, to, to kind of share like, hey, Grant just said all of these things in all these chapters. This is where Grant's messed up, right? This is where he as the author <laughs> has failed, but this is where we've overcome some of those failures and, and, and how we've helped. And my hope is as people read that, they too can say, oh yeah, other people fail just like me. It's, th that's okay, this is a journey, right? And I can get back up and, and I, I can learn from that and I can move forward in the right direction. The hope is to inspire people to take action, to live an intentional life of harmony, um, despite any failures they may or may not have had. You know, it's, it's fantastic seeing what you're doing with the concept for this book, because I've always been annoyed by the phrase work-life balance. One, I think it's just a complete misnomer. It's not possible to ever achieve true balance for any length of time. Uh, the way that the language that I've always, I shouldn't say always, the language that I have used for a, a long time has been a, a complementary and supporting, you know, two worlds. Does your work life affirm and fulfill you in such a way that when you get home from the office, are you able to be fully present with your spouse, with your kids? Are you able to, you know, come in with a good attitude and positive energy? Uh, are you flip side when you leave your home? In the morning, are you coming into the office with a full head of steam, energized and excited for your day? You know, like the whole concept of work-life balance, I think it's just absurd, like categorically. So uh, I'm really excited to, to read this whenever Amazon, you know, gets off their butt and brings me the book that I ordered <laughs> more than more than 10 days ago, but whatever. Uh, it's one of the few times that Amazon has not delivered in the time frame that I expected them to. So, uh, okay, I guess we can't be perfect, but whatever. Uh, so right along the, those lines, you know, you lay out a premise in the first book. Uh, when I think about all the content that I've seen from you, uh, the the themes that seem to be so important to you, at stewardship, uh, they are very centered on positive company culture of what we already talked about: freedom, affirmation, 
and purpose. Uh, talk to me about the way that you have helped craft and create that because I, I know at this point, stewardship is a complex organization. There's a lot of moving parts. There's various uh, tiers and, and levels of leadership. It's definitely not uh, the Grant Botma show. Uh, you have empowered several different people uh, with authority to enact your vision of how stewardship should operate. Uh, but d- discuss that for a little bit. What does it mean for you to be the leader uh, and the one who's setting the tone uh, for a, an organization like stewardship when it comes to culture and just attitude and focus and whatnot? Yeah, if it was just me, we would not have some of the success that we have had. A hundred percent, without a doubt, we are who we are because of all the people that are on our team. Um, and my hope is if you're listening to this and you're considering having a team or you've tried building a team and maybe you got burnt or you had a tough time with it, keep going. Just keep going on that journey because when you do have a great team, uh, it changes everything. It really does. Um, and my role has changed. Yes, as we talked earlier in the episode from producer to now being an ambassador for our brand or leading our culture and leading our people. Um, and what it means is that my mindset goes out of day-to-day operations and more big picture stuff. I get to take some of my dreams and my ideas for the future and make sure that we're taking actions uh, throughout each quarter, throughout each year that lead us in that direction. But I also have to study society. I have to study people. I have to see where people are consuming the products and services that we provide and how our society is changing and maybe the way that they would uh, consume those products and services. What what needs do they have? How, how can we best love them in, in different directions? And that's the whole the whole reason why I, we have the content that we have. Um, I have this thing that we created, James. It's it's uh, some people would co- like consider it a, 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 a like a marketing funnel. We call it a, a marketing ascension model, and ours is like a hotel. And the way that we've done it is the lobby is where people can go into a hotel for free. It doesn't cost any money and they can engage to learn a little bit more about the hotel and even experience the hotel. And and we want to have a bunch of free information there, like blogs, like videos, like podcasts and everything else. And then each product or service that we have builds on top of that hotel with different levels. Maybe there's the mezzanine and the bar where where they can uh, stay and, and even uh, spend some money at the hotel. Then they actually commit and they stay in a room in a standard room. And then they have some premium rooms. And at the top is like the VIP suite. What well, stewardship, that's what we have in our products or services. Uh, everything that we're doing, whether it comes down to the content that's free from the lobby or all the way to the top when people are have built wealth and they need to protect that wealth well, in our VIP service, everybody, it's all one stewardship, but we all have these products and services that stack on top of each other. And our hope is to introduce the right people into that lobby and uh, give them an experience that allows them to ascend up the hotel as they're ascending in their life. And my role and my goal is to lead a team of people to help create the best experiences possible in each level of that hotel. And that requires a lot of studying, it requires a lot of humility, uh, but it's also a lot of fun. If you weren't having fun, I don't know if you would still be doing this at this point. You seem like the kind of uh, guy who is, it wants to enjoy the daily. Like you understand the bigger picture. You know life is short. You've probably, from what I've heard from you, I, I know the answer to this question, but you have already laid out your 168 hours each week and you are intentional with how those get spent. I don't get the feeling that there is, you know, 
unallocated just blocks of whatever time. You know, when you're resting, you're probably resting, but it is a calculated, intentional rest period, right? Yeah, you know, uh, I would, uh, if I had to think through kind of like what my superpower is, um, and people would probably be baffled by this considering all the things that I, I have going on, as you mentioned, I'm, I think my superpower is rest. I'm really, really good at resting. I sleep really well, I rest intentionally, and as a result, I stay pretty stinking healthy. I have my mind in a really great place most of the time. Uh, I'm mentally healthy, and that allows me to be crazy productive. And none of that can happen without without some rest. And the I think the reason why I, I do well at rest is because it's something that I do very intentional. I'm intentional with what time I wake up. I'm intentional with making sure I do the right things before I go to bed. I'm intentional with what I'm doing when I'm sleeping so that I can have the best sleep possible. But I am intentional with with my rest. Do I scroll social media? Do I binge watch television? Yeah, I do all that stuff. I'm human. But I try to do it as intentionally as possible, uh, whether it's part of a schedule or it's on a trigger, meaning, okay, I just finished with this. That means I get to do this rest thing. Or I'm about to go do this really tough thing. Let's go ahead and make sure I'm rested beforehand. Um, and man, I think if if it's one thing that I would love for your listeners to kind of take away from this episode, it is, it is that word, intentional. From the intentionality that I built stewardship on through that marketing ascension model, all the way through to the intentionality with with living your life. I think too often we just drift. And I even think drifting's okay as long as it's planned drifting. <laughs> but yep. if you're just drifting and with without any intention behind it, it, it's tough. And the more intentional you can live your life, um, the more impactful your life's going to be. And as a result, you'll have a lot more fun and it'll be filled with a lot more joy. Did you hear that virtual intelligence and on-hand VAs actually merge? That's right. I was talking to Michael Cruz and checking out what he has there with his Colombian workers. And I said to him, dude, what's up? You realize you're not a VA, right? He said, what do you mean? I said, you're a VE. Look it up on ChatGPT. I encourage you to do that too. He's got forward-facing VEs. VEs that can answer the phone and take questions 30 days in. You say yes to Michael. I want what you have. In 30 days, that's what he delivers. I said, Michael, this is unbelievable. We're strong in the front, but we're really strong in the back end. You provide the external VE for us. We provide the internal VE. I looked at him. I said, buddy, let's do this together. Let's let's do this. And he looked at me and he put out his hand and like a good solid Cuban American, he said, Jason, I'm committed. Let's do it. And that's what we did. We flew to Columbia. We saw his operation and you need to see it too. Give us a little click at virtual Intel. That's with two L's. That's virtual I N T E L L dot com. Go check us out. See what we're doing. High quality VEs mixed with technology delivered right into your agency. And you don't have to do all the things that you don't like to do, like hiring, firing, recruiting, recreating, trying to find processes. Just there's so much stuff. I can't even say it right. That's right. Virtual Intel cast certified. So for someone who you say that and they just light up of, man, that sounds so much better than I have it right now. And I got to say, partly that's me. I'm sitting here listening to the words that you're saying and uh, there's aspirational values that I feel you know, when, when you talk like that. I'm a lot better than I was even one year ago 
uh, as far as directing my time and activity. Uh, but I imagine there is quite a bit of improvement in front of me. For someone who's sitting there going, man, I'm just trying to keep all my plates spinning. Uh, and, and they're sitting here in a position where maybe they're being ruled by the tyranny of the urgent. Uh, I've, you know, you're probably familiar with that book. I've referenced it a couple of times here on the podcast. But that, that good old pundit square of urgent, important, not urgent, not important. Uh, for people that find themselves getting ruled by the tyranny of the urgent, what do you think is the best way to take that first step in the direction of complete intentionality like you just discussed? Um, I would first want to communicate kind of what you just said where, hey, I have a long way to go, right? I, I also have a long way to go. And no matter where you're at in this journey of trying to live a more intentional life or try to get away from the tyranny of the urgent, it's always going to be a journey. Yeah. So don't put yourself in a box of shame based on any failures or recent frustrations that you have in this journey. Again, my wife and I, what we put in this book was 15 years of our life. That's a long time, right? And I just want to hopefully inspire people to take one step at a time, right? So when it comes to how do I get out of that? Well, if you have the right mindset and you give yourself a little bit of grace, uh, the next step is to, okay, well, we'll take, take that step. And for me, I think it has to do not just from looking at your day and trying to be intentional with your day. I like to go backwards. I think you need to be intentional with your year. Uh, it's it's um, easier to do. It's a lower barrier to entry. And it'll probably have the most impact. You see, most like work-life balance conversations, the reason why you don't like them, James, is because they all essentially boil down to this piece of advice. Stop working so much. Well, that's not the answer. I think work is great. I think we were created to contribute. And most of your listeners are probably really good at what they're doing, making an awesome positive impact on real people to their job. So keep doing that. So if you put together a year and you're trying to be intentional about it, in the book, I call it the ideal year. I don't ever tell people to stop working. I tell people to look back and think about, okay, if this year in 2022, I had some priorities and things I really wanted to do, what would those priorities be? So as an example for me, I know I always want to go on at least one trip with my wife around our anniversary and one trip with each of my kids around their birthday. Now, you notice I'm saying the word around. When you create this intentional year, what I call the ideal year, you don't have to put in exact dates. You just want to have generalizations. And the reason why those things are important is because those are some of the most important people in my life, right? And I want to go on at least one trip with, with them. And I want to break down with them, how was the last year of your life? And what do you want for the year to come? How was I as a husband over the last year? And how could I be better? How was I as a dad over the past year? And how could I be better, right? But more importantly, giving them focused attention, desiring them, pursuing them, letting them know I genuinely care with my actions. And that type of stuff, putting in those priorities of, this is some priorities that I have at home, but then also figuring out what are some priorities at work. Okay, well, I'm going to have an annual planning time with my other business partners. We're going to be doing that. Four times throughout the year, I'm going to make sure that I'm training certain sections of my team. I'm going to make sure I'm doing that. One time a year, I'm going to have an annual meeting with our company where we're going to talk about, again, the year that was and the year coming to the future. That meeting is actually coming up for us in two weeks here for stewardship. All right. you know, these are things and these are priorities that I've laid out and say, okay, these are all the things that I've had. Now, if I have these priorities of my home and my office, I also have to determine when is my busy season. I know that there are busy seasons throughout the year, 
So when am I going to be at the busiest? Well, I got to figure those things out and I got to block those out. Then I have to intentionally say either just before the busy or just after the busy, I'm going to intentionally rest. And what is that rest going to look like? So again, in the book, I go through an entire process of how to create this ideal year, but it boils down to figuring out what are the priorities that you have at home? What are the priorities you have in your office? Understanding when those busy and rest seasons need to be, and then looking at the year and intentionally weaving in those pieces to say, okay, well, in June, I know I'm going to be doing this with my work. And just after that, I'm going to rest. And then right after that, I'm actually going to go on that trip with my wife. Then in August is my birthday with my daughter, Elle. So I'm going to take a trip with her. Then, you know, it, it just all plans out. So now I have this document. It's on one page. It's called the ideal year. And I can see, okay, nothing here really overlaps. There's going to be no confusion or frustration. And there I go. But it still comes back to how I started with this conversation, James, and that is having grace for myself, yep. having grace for yourself, listener. If you put your ideal year together and you only get 70% of it lived out, that's a whole lot better than 0% of no intentionality, right? Uh, so it's, it's starting somewhere by writing out an ideal year. I love that. And uh, doing your best to, to live it out. And even if you only get to 70%, good job. So what I hear is you get to travel more than a lot of people might. I got to ask the travel question because I, I too have the travel itch. I like to travel as much as possible and, you know, see the world that God made and experience other areas and, and attractions and food and people and all, all the, the beautiful things that come with traveling and, you know, seeing something outside of your normal context. Um, what's what's a, a destination that you're really fond of? Uh, maybe something off the beaten path that you have gotten to do uh, with your wife or your kids that just sticks out as a really cool uh, memory that you're you're fond of. Uh, talk about travel for a second. Tell 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 a story or two. Okay, yeah. Well, I'll be uh, completely honest with you. My family and I recently just came to the decision that we are going to significantly slow down travel because we are just tired of the things that are required of us to get into a, a plane. And uh, we decided to just to slow down a little bit for us. Now, fortunately, our favorite place to travel as a family is within driving distance. And this is something that I think is extremely important for every family to have, to have kind of these pocketed vacations or these pocketed experiences that like whenever you want to celebrate or whenever you just need to rest, that they're super easy to do, very low barrier to entry, and you can make them happen. So I live in Arizona and our favorite place to vacation is in Carlsbad, California, which is about a five and a half hour drive. So literally, if we wanted to go this weekend, we could make that happen. As soon as I'm done working from the office, we jump in the car, we head down there. And by the time bedtime hits, we're ready at a hotel. And we love Carlsbad because it's on the beach in California. It's kind of like a smaller beach city. So there's not a ton of people there. So it's a little bit slower paced. There's amazing coffee. My favorite coffee shop in the world is in Carlsbad, California. And there's a very fun, uh, small like hotel and you can get rooms that are literally right on the sand. So sometimes during the, the, the certain times of year, during certain times of, of the day, the waves will crash underneath the hotel and you can just hear them crashing as you're going to sleep. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful experience and something that my kids have been able to grow up going to. And now it's kind of like become our place, right? They talk about the ice cream shop that's there in town. They talk about the restaurants that are there. It's near Legoland, which is another place that my kids love. So for us, travel is less about 
this amazing, extravagant, wonderful thing that we got to do in some, you know, odd island. For us, it's an easy place to go to that has nostalgia built in, where we have tons of family memories, and uh, that that's that's our jam. Oh, that's fantastic! You know, there is there's a place. Uh, it's about mm, two and a half, maybe three hours, depending on traffic. Uh, Broken Bow is a, a a forest like cabin lakeside thing in southeastern Oklahoma, and that's. Uh, I've been going there since college, and that's definitely something that I I have already been you know telling stories when when we do like the made up bedtime story thing with my kids where the stuffed animal goes on an adventure. You probably did something similar uh, with, with your littles, <laughs> but the stuffies go to Broken Bow and they have adventures in Broken Bow. So I'm, I'm kind of like so awesome. planting the seed for uh, the trips that will come when they're a little bit older. Because I, I think all the parents out there could agree. The, the idea of taking a weekend trip with a two and a four-year-old away from home where everything has to get put in the back of the SUV, that is not restful no. to me. Like that sounds like not fun to me. So yeah. <laughs> we're definitely waiting for the kids to be a little bit older before we start having five and a half hour road trips. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. That's, yep, yep. That's so great. Oh, so pivoting back to, to the work thing because uh, – you know, if someone doesn't know you, they have no idea that your company has won at least two that I'm aware of, maybe more, Inc. 5000 awards. And for a small business owner, that really is like wearing the yellow jersey in the Tour de France. You know, it's like that is one of the bellwether indicators that you have arrived, at least in some degree, that you're... You're doing something really good because Inc. 5000 is a man. That's a that's a big deal. So for you to have done it multiple times, that's an even bigger deal. Uh, I'd love to hear the the process of that because I know a lot of people, myself included, that have you know make the Inc. 5000 list as a as a bucket list item. Uh, talk about that experience of applying to be on the list and, and going through that selection process, and then just the experience of. Being able to say, yeah, my business is on the Inc. 5000. What was that like? Yeah, so uh, I first discovered the Inc. 5000 list. A friend of mine, um, he was a CEO of a pretty large Windows company, and they did really well. They won the award. And he sent me an email and said, hey, uh, I'm going to tell my Inc. 5000 rep about you, and they're going to be pursuing you next year. And I'm like, oh, okay. So they pursued me when it comes time that year and and now you don't even need to be pursued by a rep you can just go to their website and check it out yourself and apply for yourself but essentially you fill out a pretty rigorous form you submit a whole bunch of documentation and they're looking at your financials they're seeing hey how much money did you make over these past several years and how much money are you currently making now and are you genuinely one of the fastest growing companies in america um, so we've gone through that process twice and the two times that we've gone through it, we've, we've ended up being named as, as one of those companies. Uh, the thing that I'm probably most proud of though, is how other publications have not only seen that, but then done further research on us. And one publication gave us, um, one of the fastest 100 growing finance companies in the country, which is kind of a big deal seeing that that's the field that we're in we're we're all in finance. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, this is uh, something kind of cool too. I just found out earlier this week that uh, both Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazine are going to be doing 
spotlights on our company. And a lot of that has come from some of the exposure that Inc. 5000 had, had given us. Uh, and what all of this does is it allows us to be introduced into more audiences, which then allows us to meet our mission even better of loving people through finances, right? Yep. And uh, that's kind of the most exciting thing for me. If I'm honest with you, James, like those awards, they're cool, but they don't really mean a ton to me. Uh, what means more to me is people who actually know me <laughs> and have had real engagements with me say something yep. positive. Yeah. So when my friends, when my wife, when they tell me something, um, that like that means the world to me. I mean, James, at the beginning of this podcast, you were extremely complimentary of me. It was very flattering, very humbling. And you know me and you know of me. So your words carry way more weight to me personally than an Inc. 5000 award. What the cool thing does that those awards do, though, is it allows me to then move into the motivational hierarchy of affirmation for my team and say, guys, look what you did. There's yep. like a real tangible thing that I can go to them and affirm them with. And it's ammo for that affirmation time, which is just oh, yeah. wonderful and really, really, really big. Uh, but then again, you know, it, it allows us to meet our mission better and get introduced to even more people to love them through, through finances, which is kind of fun. Well, and the cool thing is going back to team and, and certainly affirmations, every single person on your team from the person who is, you know, sweeping the floor, which knowing you, I know you probably pick up a broom uh, from time to time yourself without any hesitation. Uh, so that might be you. It might be the, the hourly entry level person. Everybody on your roster gets to say, I work in an Inc. 5000 company. You know, my company won a big award this year. And part of part of that award, they get to own. They get to claim that for themselves, for their own individual accolade. And that so you're you're actually saying something that's extremely profound. Okay, one of the issues that's happening specifically in the insurance industry right now is people are having a hard time finding employees. They're having a hard time finding quality employees. And in every Facebook group all over the place, specifically in the insurance world, it's like, where do you find good talent? Where do you get them? I can't find them. And they're having a problem. And I don't have that problem because of what you just said. Yep. My team has crazy amount of pride that they work at stewardship. Yep. Stewardship, because of the content that we've done, because of the awards that we've won, but more than anything, because I genuinely care about my employees and I do everything that I can at the end of each week to know that they answer this question, does my boss care about me? I want them to say absolutely yes. Because if they do that, when they talk about their boss, when they talk about their work, which everybody talks about, right? You go to a birthday party with kids or you're introduced to somebody, yep. oh, what do you do for work? Yep. If they can glow and they can beam and they can have pride, man, when they're talking about their work, then the next thing you know, everyone in your community is going to want to come work there because of how your team talks about it. And that's yep. a really, really big deal. And of course, awards help with that. But you as a leader can take it to the next level by just genuinely caring about your team. The, the staffing, the talent acquisition, the, the keeping good talent, all of that, I feel like is such a huge challenge for our industry. And I, I am incredibly blessed uh, and fortunate uh, to have the right people in my ear early in the process so that we, I would imagine, very similar to how you approached it in the early days of stewardship with the way that you hire, the qualities that you preference, uh, you know, intangibles over skill set. 
you know, character and drive and work ethic over, you know, some kind of technical thing that is nothing more than knowledge. Uh, and knowledge is so easy to equip. You can't equip work ethic. Someone either has it or they don't. They might pick up, you know, percentage differences, but there's not going to be orders of magnitude on work ethic. You you either have it from an early age, from, you know, from before you were an adult or you don't. I know that's a different story, but you know, well, yeah, I'll be honest. The first time I ever spoke at an event, it was an insurance event. And one of the first things that I said was, you can teach a monkey to do insurance. And I got booze from the crowd, right? Because there's people in there that are insurance agents and they are really good at their job. Yeah. But then what followed after was not booze, but like, oh my. Yeah. Because I said, you can teach a monkey to do insurance. But you can't teach everybody to, and then I filled in all those blanks that you just said, be a hard worker, be a great fit with your culture, show up early, stay late, give their best, have a great attitude. Like you can't always teach those things, especially as an employer. You hope that their parents taught them that or a mentor taught them that or the Bible taught them that or something happened right in their life to where they have some of these qualities already ingrained in them. So when you're hiring people, focusing on a culture fit, focusing on a good human being before anything else is important because you can teach anybody how to do insurance. Now, that might be frustrating and it might take a long time to teach them that and they're going to make some mistakes. But man, after a while, you'll end up with guys like I... I hired a former youth pastor, ended up being one of the best mortgage guys in the world. I fired a, I hired a guy who used to work at University of Phoenix as a guidance counselor, and he's a top producer in the country. Like these people, they were had no experience in the finance world, but they're great human beings, man. They're just really cool people. And that means that they'll eventually be really great at working with me too. Well, the beautiful thing is if you are looking at that, looking at the intangibles, looking at the stuff that cannot be taught, you have to have it ready when you when you walk in the front door. The caliber of people that you're looking at are, are automatically higher than the general population. But you're also, much like I know you do at Stewardship as well, uh, you are able to call the herd before someone ever walks in the door. Whether that's a client, a stakeholder, a channel partner, or a member of your team, because you're able to better identify who you are as an individual and who the company is, the identity. So you're attracting people based on really important metrics rather than stuff that can easily be taught. You know, I, I only have six people on my team. Uh, and, you know, we, we'll six celebrate. Six is a lot, man. That's, that's, that's a lot. It, it is. It's more than I probably should have at this point talking to my CFO. Uh, that well, we, don't just say we, only six, man. That's like a big deal. And I think it's cool. Okay. Well, I have six people on my team and I'm proud of that fact. (laughs) But every single one of those six uh, has been hired with the intangibles in mind. Uh, The first two people came to me from referrals from their parents, strangely enough, because Mm -hmm. one, I knew from a community group at church. She was my first Mm -hmm. hire. I, I was able to recruit her away from a chiropractor's office. The other came from Chamber of Commerce. It was one of my colleagues in Chamber. Uh, she's like, hey, are you hiring? My, I want my daughter to meet you. And we ended up meeting and just really liking Addie. She was hire number two. And then I go down the list. Every single person that currently works here, including one young lady who, who is no longer on our team because we didn't have the right fit, the, the role that she needed, we didn't have. And she wasn't a good culture fit for the role that she was in. So we decided to part company. But e- even even her was by referral. 
either by someone who currently works here or by someone who's in our circle that sees what we're doing, that knows the culture and said, hey, you should talk to so-and-so, all six of them. So everything that you're saying, man, I have seen that lived out. And, you know, from previous interviews that I've done with with other podcasts, man, I'm living proof of exactly what you're talking about, the validity of that approach uh, to finding and building the team. So, you know, we could talk about these awards, Inc. 5000 and all that. But can you think of a more encouraging thing than having a parent say, I would like my child to spend eight hours a day, five days a week under your leadership? Like, dude, you're like, yeah. what a cool thing. Like, that is about as encouraging and as amazing as it gets. And that speaks to not only your character, but how your character is lived out in your business. And if any listener right now is wondering if James is the type of person I should listen to, that alone means, yes, listen to James. But two, if you have ever been a receipt of one of those praises where a family member or a close friend says, hey, would you be willing to talk to one of my friends or a, a family member of mine to come work for you? Don't see it as an inconvenience, man. See it as a high praise because that's what mm-hmm. it is. Well, and my first question for Barb was, is she like you? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. It was like, is your daughter like you? Does she, did yeah. she, did she you know, rub off the intangibles from mom? And she said, yeah, yeah, she's, uh, she's very much like me. And I'm like, okay, Addie, you came in with a whole lot of advantages at the very beginning of your interview because I yeah. know your mom, I really like your mom and she said you're a lot like she is. That was as you can imagine, that was a really straightforward and easy interview. And That's here cool. she is, you know, two and a half years later, she's on the team and I love her to death. She's my number 2 uh, for sure. That's great, so man. I sorry, I know we're chasing rabbits and the audience no, is basically this is wonderful. No, it's we're we're going to wrap by by simply saying what do you want to share uh, uh you got so much going on. What does someone need to hear from Grand Bob? We've covered a lot of ground in this episode. We're landing the plane now. Uh, what do, what message do you want to send uh, to to complement what we've already talked about before we look before we go? Yeah. It, uh- First and foremost, please engage with me. I'm happy to chat with people. Uh, that my direct messages in my social media is constantly. Uh, happening. So whether it's Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, I'm at Grant Botma on basically all platforms. You have so the benefit of having me. a last name that's exceedingly rare. Yeah. Yeah. James Jenkins. That one wouldn't be as, as easy to do. But yeah. No. But, not but, too many uh, Botmas out there, is there? Not a ton. Nope. Nope. That Dutch name <laughs> is rare. But, you know, at, at Grant Botma, you can find me on social media. So please follow me there. If you have questions or you want to follow up with me, uh, or you're wondering about something that was said in this conversation, I'm happy to engage with you there. Um, but I, I would say this, more, more than anything else, the big thing, if you're going to look for joy, not only in your life or or, or in your work, and you're looking for, for success, all it does is come down to this, serving people well. Like uh, any influence, any uh, power, any good that could have been seen in me in any way, shape, or form has only come through serving people. I look for needs of other people, genuinely do my best to put myself in other people's shoes and ask, how can I help them? What what do they need? And I do my best to serve them in that. And if you want to serve well, do it with selflessness. Don't serve in hopes that you're going to get something in return. Just serve. 
Serve your clients, ask them what their questions are, figure out what their real needs are and see if there's a unique way that you can fill it, even if it doesn't have to do with insurance, right? And the same goes with our family. When was the last time we genuinely put ourselves in the shoes of our spouse and thought, gosh, what is their day like? What is their week like? How, how can I serve them better? And if you serve really well and you use that as the core of your leadership, it'll change your life and it'll change, more importantly, the lives of the people around you. And my hope is that you're able to do that. No, I love it, man. Yes. That's fantastic. You know, we have spent a lot of time in this episode, rightfully so, talking about your wins, your accolades, uh, the skins on the wall, so to speak. Uh, I'm going to last question here, just to kind of end on something aspirational uh, for you even. It, it's easy for someone to, to see where you are. Uh, you have climbed several rungs of the ladder, you know, mountain, whatever analogy you want to use. For where you're at right now, what's a challenge that you're currently working through? Uh, what's what's the next thing for Grant? What What is oh, something a- you're looking to overcome? At, at where you are right now, what's the next thing? Yeah, so we uh, do home loans, insurance, and investments. We're about to add real estate to what we do. Um, and it comes from what I just talked about, talking to our clients and finding a need. What we found is that our customers uh, have experienced a lot of frustrations when they're currently living in one home, but they want to go buy another one, that they have to sell the other home first before they buy the other one because they need the equity for the down payment, because they have to get rid of the house payment for their other house to qualify for their new one. And what that means is people are in limbo before they buy and find the other home. So they either got to live with their in-laws or at a hotel and they're moving twice. And it's just a frustrating process. So we have created a program that allows people to buy their next home without having to sell their current home first. And that's been years in the making. It's been a lot of fun trying to create, but we're in the process of actually putting people through that program now through beta testing. So the next challenge ahead of us is through this beta testing, figure out what other challenges are part of the program of how we've initially structured it and making adjustments to it to better serve our community and really make sure we're answering that question and filling that need they have as they're getting rid of their current home and buying their next home. It's a big challenge. It's a lot of fun, uh, but we're excited to serve people in our community in Arizona with that. So it is limited just to Arizona right now. You're, you're I'm guessing Correct. you're beta testing in your local market first and then yep. getting proof of concept before you expand and scale, right? Correct. Yep. Awesome. So are you elsewhere outside of uh, Arizona for the, these operations? Yeah, so our home loans and insurance are limited to Arizona, and that's intentional based on lots of legalities and things that make it a little bit more frustrating to work in other states. But our investment management and uh, helping people with their wealth building journey is something that we can do no matter what state you're in. And uh, that is just a different world with with those types of legalities, as I mentioned. So yeah, we, we work with people in any state as it pertains to investment management, but our home loans and insurance is specific just to Arizona. Cool. We don't get too much into that side of things, but for those of the listeners that are are interested in that, uh, are you set up as an RIA or as a broker-dealer model? Yes, everything is independent, everything. So independent insurance agency, independent uh, mortgage brokerage, and independent investment advisory. We do not get paid extra to sell our clients a particular product. We genuinely have access to all the good products that are out there. Yeah. Genuinely look into the needs of the customer and place it with the right product. And we're not incentivized to sell them a product that may not be best for them. So, yeah. Product agnostic. I love that phrase. Uh, So you're running fee-based advisory, right? 
Yes, yes. Everything we do is fee-based. That is such a great business model for the client, especially for more affluent clients that have a better understanding of the way that money works. Man, I love that fee-based model. If I ever get the opportunity to take our risk well practice and set aside, you know, turn down all of the insurance product commissions and, you know, find some way of running a fee-based uh, risk management insurance practice. I promise you, I will do that in a heartbeat. Ah, yeah, you should do it. It's, it's I don't awesome. know if it's possible, man. We'll find out. The nah, carriers might is. lose You'll their mind. Uh, nah, but netting out the commission and charging a flat fee instead, man, that, that is a win for everybody. Is, yep. hey, take that competition. I literally <laughs> have no stake in which one of these policies you pick because I'm not getting yep. paid a commission on the product. Yep. You know, I, there's a lot of power in being able to say you're product agnostic. And yes, I sir. can't say that right now. And most of the listening audience can't. But you can, Mr. Botma. Yeah, well, it that's took fantastic. Build, but we got there and, and anybody else who's listening, you can get there too. Love it. Fantastic. Did we miss anything? You know what? I don't think so, James. I'm I'm honored that you had me on. It uh, it was fun. Uh, and I, I, two things I got to say. One, your voice is perfect for podcasts. It was really great. It's like buttery smooth. <laughs> oh, uh, and two, uh, you're good at this. Uh, we didn't do a whole lot of planning ahead of time. You just hit record, and we made this conversation happen, which was really fun. And uh, yeah, man, you're really good at this. So thanks. Now, a- anything you and I can do to collaborate, I. I'm a shameless fanboy of yours, Mr. Bodma. I like what you do and how you do it. So uh, you have your people call my people if you want to do more stuff and we'll make it happen. (laughs) Happy to help anytime, man. Awesome. Hey, listeners out there, that is the end of another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. Really appreciate your time. And and that's really it. I got a couple more things to do before I leave the office. We're going to wrap. And that is is all for today. So uh, make it a great day, boys and girls. We'll talk to you again real soon. Y'all take care. Thanks for listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast. Please subscribe to AFP on your favorite podcasting platform to get automatic updates on every new episode and help other people find us organically. If you like the content you hear, please drop us a quick review and tell the world what you like best. Most importantly, please share Agency Freedom with someone you know who is still on the captive side of the insurance world. They'll thank you later. You can connect with other Freedom Jumpers, ask questions, get advice, and share your best practices in our Facebook group. Just type Agency Freedom Podcast in the search bar. Visit our website at agencyfreedompodcast.com to sign up for our email list and get access to exclusive resources and sign up to be a potential future guest on the show. We welcome your comments, feedback, and ideas. Email podcast at riskwell.com and we'll look forward to hearing from you. Agency Freedom Podcast, where we help our listeners go from captive to indie to market domination. Until next time, let's go.